0: Hello, this is Eduardo Arriaga, CFO here at Stavi, and this is Finside
1: Chats. Welcome to the Finside Chats podcast. This podcast is for the relentlessly curious and dives headfirst into the timely and complicated topics that live and breathe in the fintech, startup, and mortgage lending spaces.
0: All right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of FinSide Chats. I'd like to kick off today by congratulating Jeremy Potter, Vice President of Legal and Capital Markets here at Stavi, for being a platinum frequent flyer. Now um, you now get to board early. You can come onto the podcast before anybody else um, for your your frequent travels on FinSide Chats.
2: And for you United customers, uh, that that is the equivalent of the one K since he can board early.
0: Oh, there, there you go. Yeah, it's very
2: unfortunate.
0: Jeremy, welcome. Um, you know, today, you know, we want to chat a little bit about, it's not easy to break the mold of traditional ways to do business, but it's the only way forward. Uh, financial services industries uh, are especially notorious for taking a long time to change procedures uh, and the ways that they do business. In part due to regulations, but really in part due to a whole host of other things that I suspect we're going to dive into today. So, it's important to adapt to the ever-evolving needs of businesses, both for, for the industries themselves and also for consumers. So today we're going to discuss ways that leaders can manage deploying new experiences, which can include, of course, new technology, while ensuring adoption and, and efficiency. So excited to have uh, Jeremy Potter here with us today, the guy that always talks about his job is working on what's next. Great to
3: be here. Thanks for having me again. i you mentioned being a frequent flyer. It's great to have all this legroom and room to, to explore these ideas. So always happy to be here. One of the things that makes this topic really tough is all of the different competing aspects of it. You mentioned expectations and experiences that consumers wanna have. You mentioned procedures. There's obviously gonna be regulation in this space, the heavily, heavily regulated space. And so one of the hardest things is we could probably have a podcast on each of them as complex as it is. And what we're really trying to do is talk you know, in a pretty succinct way about how you put them together and how you rank them and how do you deal with that as a leader if you have to both have the current you know, structure of the market, of the expectations of where everything is going around tech, around financial services, around consumers, and around regulation all kind of all in your head at the same time while you reorder them and then walk everybody into the future. It's incredibly tough. And so I think the hardest thing to your point earlier, the hardest thing we're going to have today is just how do we keep it? (laughs) How do we keep that manageable in a podcast, not to mention in a startup or in a business (laughs) when you actually have to do it?
0: Yeah, no, true. Very true. And considering most listeners have a have an attention span of about 20 to 26 minutes on a podcast before they, unless you're Joe Rogan, of course, but um, (laughs) even that, it takes me like four days to listen to an episode, but let's, I mean, let's try to dive in. So what what are some of the biggest hurdles you think to breaking the mold uh, in fintech? And what I mean by that is, you know, some of the biggest hurdles for financial services institutions or FIs, uh, banks, you know, non-bank lenders, uh, those that are operating in the financial space, Uh, What are some of the biggest hurdles for fintech to to be adopted and to be able to look at things from a, a newer lens?
3: I think recent history would tell us that the size of the investment required versus what you gain in either efficiency, customer experience, or market share is one of the hardest things to predict. And time, time well. Because you have to decide... I'm going to make in some cases a year long or multi-year long decision relative to the implementation and actual, you know, go live for a new, uh, opportunity, whether that's a feature, whether it's a whole new system, whether you're reaching a new, uh, market with a new product, you have a, it's a big decision and it often comes with a relatively large price tag. We're talking about, again, heavily regulated, uh, technology. So, um, I've spent money on this and that, let's say, over the last 10 years. And that could be attracting talent. That could be updating with new regulations as things change. And now I'm going to try to do something proactive instead of reactive. And I'm looking at a big price tag with a long timeline. And it's like, really, again? And so I think that's what leaders of these areas of, of their financial institution, if it's a lending area, consumer account, or some other part of of the institution,
2: they really have a tough time having to measure all that and know when to go. It's interesting, certainly how it affects every stakeholder uh, along the way is uh, is one part. But I I would ask Jeremy, um, you know, the transition from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0 took you know the better part of a decade, if not more. And so you hear people talking about Web 3.0. Uh, which doesn't actually exist yet, it's a theory. And I would ask like, how do you deal with the uncertainty of you know, that theory becoming a reality potentially, maybe, it may not, becoming a reality you know, 15 years from now or three years from now, right? We don't, we don't know how long that type of transition will take. Uh, so how do you really break the mold and try and change the status quo in the face of that uncertainty? Exactly. That's exactly the challenge
3: and I think the part I always rely on is what of what we're trying to accomplish or of what is happening that is emerging technology and is exciting. Will we be able to capitalize on and show as a success as a win, no matter which outcome which future ends up being the future that exists for everybody. And so you try to get as much as you possibly can that is going to be useful and beneficial to the organization as you go such that if uh, I'll just use the example I've been using a lot lately Josh if storage goes from being one big vault underneath the ground under a giant 150 year old bank to being three million little vaults all over the world in in the cloud scenario because everybody's got their own or it becomes one giant vault in the sky so to speak You have to be able to store data in a way that moves you efficiently to a place that you can use it, that it's beneficial, that you're saving time, money, effort, you're bringing a lot more flexibility to the organization. And no matter what happens with the client, the client wants X, the client wants Y, the client wants Z, you're in a good position to deliver because you've built it in a way that takes into account. You don't exactly know the future, but you know you got to move from where you are today. And so I think about that in consumer experience, I think about it in technology architecture, and I think more and more FIs are asking, okay, so how do I get, then let's accomplish this then. How do I get just the next step instead of having to build this very expensive, very large version of the future and hope I'm right, What can I have in the meantime? So I think your question is the exact right one. I do think organizations are answering it in different ways. Some banking very heavily on the future. And we can take some analogies from other industries. I I tend to think that if you're banking on the metaverse with your entire company, that's an all-in bet. That's saying, like, I think this is going to be the future of interaction or entertainment or e-commerce or something, and then you're kind of organizing your whole company around defining that future rather than saying, okay, I know for sure that I need more flexibility, transparency, and accessibility in this, whatever this is, whether I get it, storage, the example I used earlier, or the consumer experience, let's go there first on our way to the future. I think that's the big difference between the transition from web one to web two and from where we are now, the end of Web 2 to whatever Web 3 ends up being defined as.
2: And I'll say certainly if you, I know many of the principles of Web 3 are are things that we look at and find um, a lot that we do. So the thing that makes Web 3.0 hard for a lot of people is ultimately how, you know, how the changes, you know, conflict with their business models. And so if you can build a company and a series of products that you have that type of thing at their core, then it becomes a technical problem and not a not a market problem, as it scales. And isn't that
3: about finding the principles that are making at least companies and, and consumers excited about Web three, and then trying to uh, align those principles with your next step or your next investment? So the idea that more transparency, more real time access, and more truth in The interaction is the key. Okay, how how do I start that path then? And then not having to jump, let's say, to a a Web3 technology like blockchain. Do I have to jump all the way to blockchain or can I find ways to prepare my organization for a future that could exist while I'm definitely highlighting, taking advantage of the attributes that seem to get everybody so excited? Interoperability, real-time access, visibility and transparency, truth, things like that.
0: So Jeremy, I, I got a question, like, you know, not to sound like Simon, but like, why, right? Like I remember a couple months ago seeing a survey that over 50%, so let's say well, more than one in two CEOs worry that, worry about technology. They worry about not having enough of it. They worry about how it's being used. They worry about their competitors having an edge over them. So why why the holdup? Like, you know, we have all these you know, great technology companies, tons of great startups that are working on really cool things that clearly create efficiency, clearly create a better experience for their customers. Why so slow? I think
3: one answer to your question is just the human nature. And we could talk a lot about resistance to change. But I think the more likely financial services fintech answer also has to do about responsibility which is we also don't know some of the unintended consequences of some of these changes. And so when you move ahead in a space like entertainment or social media, and the the thing that's at risk is the profile page for your character in a world, or the thing that's at risk are those like extra tokens you bought to participate in a world or in a game, then the risk is relatively low and it can be easily fixed. I think when you're talking about things that consumer, especially in the direct-to-consumer or or B2C world, where you're talking about things that um, are held dear by consumers, so something sentimental or very meaningful and or something that's really important to their livelihood, like their financial uh, accounts, anything in that space, there's going to be a a real move and, and a responsible piece of this that says I need to actually know what some of these consequences are going to be or what risks I'm taking. And not knowing risks is more risky to me than than trying. And so I think that causes a lot of organizations, especially large organizations, to take a lot of time on the decision. And I think from a technology perspective, a lot of people would say it takes too long. But I think from a financial services perspective, they're saying we've got time. We're working off. 30-year horizons, lifetime horizons. And I think that's been the mindset. We're keeping your money safe for your life, your whole life. And increasingly, consumers are saying, that's not good enough. Now I am actually pushing you, the organization, to move faster. And so I think consumer sentiment, consumer expectations here are a big piece of the decision-making process that you asked about earlier, because that's what's started to really drive. It's now customers that are getting antsy or customers that want more in terms of access and and power and features. And so that's the line. Unintended consequences is definitely one of the reasons. Risk, definitely one of the reasons. But I think that tension that all organizations feel, how fast can I move, is felt very strongly in in fintech.
2: I'm not a fan of... uh... You know, of the fuD approach to this stuff, so this isn't this isn't meant meant to be that. But as you're speaking, the one thing that you know I can't help but wonder is, is this is this a situation where once you know the first series of dominoes start to fall, that they start to fall very, very quickly? Uh, and I asked that question, um, obviously, the dominoes are innovation <laughs> for this particular industry. But I asked the question because I wonder if the time horizon is as long as some in the industry think it is. Uh, because when you balance the strength of consumer expectations and honestly, a very sudden generational shift between kids that were born in the mid-70s and mid-80s uh, and how they're aging in the economy, that it, it is going to be like a switch flicks um, in this economy in terms of consumer expectations. And you know, I, I can't help but wonder, is, is the time horizon as long as people think it is? I, you're exactly right.
3: I would say that the answer is no. I think the reason a lot of organizations are keeping each other comfortable with their innovation schedule, their innovation timeline, is that they're kind of looking at their peers in the market and saying, "Okay, we're okay based on my assessment of our our competitors, our peer uh, companies." But to your point, I I agree. I don't think that this is the way to approach emerging technology right now, I actually think that the the change you mentioned earlier from Web 1 to Web 2, I think you called it a decade, I think it's going to get increasingly smaller. So maybe this one's five years, and the next one's three, and the next one's one. Right. I think that this particular type of technology and the way it's being embraced, having this idea of the collective power, and the speed of bringing resources from across the market or in fact, across the world has absolutely generated a ton of momentum and really raised the expectation. So I'm with you, Josh, I think it's going to happen a lot faster.
2: I would want to bifurcate innovation in this industry from web 3.0, because I actually think that that transition is going to be much longer uh, for a bunch of different reasons. I think, you know, we're talking about a wholesale change from a regulatory perspective about how certain things work. a change into the business models of the people that power the most important parts of the internet in some ways. And so I think you're seeing like the beginning stages of it, but there is going to be competition between what what the good side wants from Web 3.0 and what the evil side wants from Web 3.0. And I don't, I don't think we've even scratched the surface on some of these questions being resolved. Uh, but I don't think that means that you can't bring, you know, conceptually, uh, things uh, from Web 3.0 into Web 2.0. Because one is building products that embrace those uh, philosophies and principles. The other is the entire internet that we interact with relying on them. And those are two, two different realities.
3: That's right. I agree. I think the way that I keep thinking about it is, which of these elements are we going to see pop up first and, and most successfully? And that's how I was kind of referring to it is, you will get some of the... Uh, aspects of what is possible, you'll start to see them faster. But they you're right, they will be the pieces and the building blocks. And some of like the attributes I was talking about earlier, those are going to start popping up a lot earlier and a lot faster. The other thing I think we should talk about a little bit is how you make transitions and how you make these investments in fintech is tough. Because I think for a long time, big financial institutions felt like they could wait and see which either technology or trend one, and then buy it or buy into it. And one of the things that's super interesting about some of the things happening right now is the way I was talking about decentralizing either the, the awareness, the computing power, some of the other technology attributes, I think it's gonna make it a little bit harder. So to your point, it's gonna take probably longer than some outside of our industry would suggest, but I also think that this one's going to be a little bit harder to just wait and see and buy into.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, with, without question, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, how this all all stacks up. I spoke at one of the uh, one of the conferences for one of the major title insurance companies uh, hosts, and one of the things that I recommended was that people start understanding what the future can look like and building relationships with different players in the space that might interest them because there is going to be a point that once those dominoes do start falling, there's going to be such a demand and a, a, such a such a volumetric increase for what is a, a lot of emerging tech companies that if you don't already have that relationship, it's going to be hard to get the attention of some of these places, at least the places where you're going to want to be uh, placing your bets. And so people should definitely focus on understanding what the market looks like and who the players in the space are that interest them in building relationships there now uh, so they have someone they can call uh, when this starts to unfold more aggressively. Yeah, that's one of
3: the big answers Costa, to your question earlier, which is what's one of the surest ways to break the mold in fintech and its ecosystems to Josh's point. How are you building an ecosystem that is resilient and strong so that your partners, your relationships are moving together such that you capture the value I was talking about earlier, you move towards the future and you can paint a picture of the future, um, but you're doing it in a much more reliable, dependable and resilient way if you're following Josh's advice and you're building those relationships and those ecosystems to operate
0: in. We all try to follow Josh's advice. (laughs) So Jeremy, what are some of the things, indicators or cues that you would look for to see that something's working or not working?
3: Yeah, so with your customers, and when we're talking about fintech, it's because we're really talking about the the B2C aspects of consumer fintech. I think one of the things that's most interesting is where's the community seeing success? I mean, whether or not you know which type of technology architecture or which type of actual system or protocol is going to be the thing that wins the day That we were talking about earlier without knowing that you might be hesitant to move but when you start to see traction with people and people spending a lot of time and engagement around a uh a capability an app a feature uh, a world you actually can know okay there's something here and so one of the things that i like to think about in this space is uh, i think some people call it stickiness some people call engagement But how often is somebody interacting with your your data or your screen or your app? And if you have a relationship with your clients where you only talk to them or see them on one of your digital properties once a month or once a year or never because they set up their account in a way that they actually don't ever log in, then you're a payment processor or you're just moving uh, information sort of in an automated way rather than where are people spending their time? What do people care about? And you mentioned Simon Sinek and starting with why, you know, when you're making an investment in your organization, that's a great way to think. When you're trying to figure out what people are going to need and want, that's a great way to think. It's what are people hungry for? Where are they actually spending their time? And this gets in a little bit, you know, to the innovator's dilemma, which is, am I trying to, give people what they want? Or am I trying to show them a whole new world? And that's what makes FinTech fun is everybody has a different way of approaching that. And we get to see all of the different competitive aspects come to play in the market. But I think looking for where people spend their time is a really exciting part of the consumer experience. Second to that, I would say, look for where you have breakdowns in your system. Where are your blind spots? Where are your dead zones? Where does data just sit for a long period of time or where do you have your longest period where a product a file an application or a consumer can't move or doesn't move when do they hit a wall in your system and looking it, it does require you know process mapping out and saying do i have data on this where's my data on this but looking for where people's engagement is tells you a little bit about the fun proactive exciting part of the fintech space and then looking for those broken spots, the dead zones, where are my people spending their most, uh, most amount of their time, their toil helps you address, you know, the inefficiencies that still exist in the system. I think if, if you're finding ways to put those two things together in a solution, then you're getting $2 out of every dollar you spend.
2: Jeremy. So I got a, I got a question for you, uh, unrelated to real estate and I know it's not without, uh, uh, it's without the greatest segue uh, from everything you just said, but what was your favorite part of the Oscars last night?
3: <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, my wife's a big fan, and so we had um, my daughter's nine, by the way, Josh. So we had my daughter there. They're watching the red carpet. They're getting everything ready. And In uh, Canto's big movie in our house, and it was up for an Oscar, and a couple of songs were played. So. The anticipation by far, at least in in our living room uh, with the audience of three, was uh, waiting for Encanto stars from Encanto, songs from Encanto. I think if there was a award that the Oscars gave for the most uh popular uh, movie or song, then you know we don't talk about Bruno would have been the runaway hit. The other thing I really enjoyed, and probably my favorite part, although I am dodging the the big question, but um, I love the anniversaries of all the movies. I think they need to do that every year as a as a thing. It's the 25th anniversary of this or the 30th anniversary of this or the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And it was just cool to see some of the people who made those movies that meant so much to people on stage together. So certainly I jumped on Twitter when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, just like everybody else jumped on. Was that real? was that staged? What just happened? (laughs) Looking for whatever information I could get. So I think if I was, you know, it'll, it'll be remembered as, as that Oscars forever. But if there was one thing I want to see again, it's definitely the anniversaries of these, these wonderful movies that meant so much to us.
2: Well, uh, Jeremy, as always, uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. It always amazes me how much both how much you understand the uh, the current industry and the way it operates and uh, and also your connection to what the future can look like and and what's coming next. So every time we get to talk to you, it's, uh, uh, it's a blast. Well, there's nothing more exciting to me than working
3: on what's next. So I, I appreciate that because breaking the mold and designing new experiences and new technology for the world, you're in the right place when you get pumped to do that every day. So I'm with you.
1: Thanks for the download. For every podcast episode, please visit stavy.com forward slash finside chats or join us on your favorite podcast platform. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only and cannot be copied or broadcast without the consent of Stavy Incorporated. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide specific legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any products or business. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of Stavi. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors.